Well, unless you've fallen asleep, you probably know that tomorrow evening, the largest crowd in American history is expected to witness a presidential debate. Folks, I want to tell you, politics can divide people like nothing else in the world except maybe religion. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching a series of messages intended to help us wrestle with the idea of what it means to be politically engaged while at the same time living out Christ and being charitable to those who disagree with us. I wrestled with what to title this series of sermons. Red and blue. Someone's going to accuse me of being partisan. I want to talk about issues that should shape our worldview based upon Scripture. I believe that God is right, the world is wrong. I could title it black and white. I would be accused of being racist. I can explain being partisan more than I can being racist, so red and blue it is. My friends, here's what I want you to hear from me this morning as we begin. Our decisions as we approach election time should not be based upon a party. They should not be based upon a candidate. They should not be based upon our opinions nor the opinions of those we run around with, hang out with, or spend time with. Christ is our ultimate authority. He is the living word, and this morning we're going to begin by looking at the written word to see how it is that we ought to be living in these days. I want you to understand that we should have a desire to do what is right. We should have a desire to live peacefully and peaceably among our brothers and sisters. Instead of being slaves to a political system, we should live as servants to the one true king. Having said that, I want you to understand something. Not only is it possible for us to be politically active in our culture, but it is necessary for we who have been called to be salt and light, possessors of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is necessary for us to be politically active. But having said all of that, I want to invite you to take your Bible or open your app And look with me in Titus chapter 3, because I want you to understand that we can live Christ during the elections. We can be politically active without being jerks. Now hear me, what I'm saying to you, it's not easy, but it's possible. We're living in a culture that has ramped up to a fever pitch in this election year. If you're anything like me, and some of you are, some of you are not, it is my belief that social media has grown antisocial. It provides a sense of anonymity that allows people to voice thoughts, to say things that they would never otherwise express. 
Some people post on their Facebook, their Twitter, their Instagram, and they display a commendable level of intellect and thoughtfulness mixed with an acceptable amount of positional or party criticism. The problem is that far too many people have simply lost their sensibilities, misplaced their rationale, and need to exercise restraint. And tragically, what I've discovered in looking on social media is that far too many of those people claim to be followers of Christ. Example. One meme that I saw on Facebook last week revealed perfectly what I'm talking about. It was a picture of an American flag. And boldly across the top, it said, God bless America again. I'm good with that. But then I looked down at the bottom, and it said, like and share if you hate. Insert the name of the candidate. God bless if you hate. Folks, surely we're smarter than that. Certainly we can do better than that, can't we? But I think if we're going to, we need to understand why. That's why I want to invite you to look with me in Titus chapter 3 at verses 1 through 8 this morning. If you've got your Bible open there, if you found that passage, I want to invite you, if you can, will to stand with me this morning in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His holy and inspired Word. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Here is what Paul wrote to this pastor. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable. For everyone. Would you join me in prayer? Father, your word is clear. You are the giver of authority. We are to be submitted to authority. Our speech is to be edifying. And never slanderous. 
you've captioned this passage of Scripture. That beginning and ending with instruction for us to do good. Father, cleanse our hearts. Turn our minds. Help us to understand and know that which is good and right according to you, that we might do it. Father, I pray that this morning you would teach us your truth. That call us to walk faithfully day by day in it. Speak to hearts. Convict us of sin. Challenge us to come and follow. Have your way in our lives. Well, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Over the next several weeks in this series of messages, please, please hear what I'm about to say to you. Before anyone decides they need to run out and make a phone call and be sure that we have an informant from the IRS come. I will not say beyond this moment the words Republican or Democrat, nor will I name a candidate. We are going to spend our time looking in the Word of God and considering the issues that are of importance to our culture, our society, our government, and we the people today, and what God says about them. And my prayer is that by doing so, you will allow the Word of God to take hold in your hearts, your minds, and your lives, and you will allow His Word to shape how you will choose to cast your ballot on November the 8th. And by the way, if you're not registered, get it done. Time's almost up. We, God's people, need to be salt and light. We cannot impact our culture if we do not participate in our culture. And this is a part of what we can do that is good. We are called to do good. If you listen to those words, we are called to do good. Part of our good is participating in the government to whatever level we are allowed by our government in order that we might be salt and light, that we might have a positive impact. Political dialogue and activism, listen, those things can be, they can be good, but they can also be contentious and compatible and, and uncharitable. But we are supposed to be God's people here who show a better way. I want us to look in these verses together in Titus chapter 3 because I think God's Word gives us a map to a better way of living life and participating in the processes of our nation. And so if you've got your Bible open, I want you to keep it open there. We're going to stay right there. I may throw a few other verses at you, but I want you to stay right here with me in Titus chapter 3. And I want you to see the instruction that the Apostle Paul gives to Titus that he would share it with his congregation, beginning with this call to Titus to remind believers to reflect model behavior. That's what verses 1 and 2 are about. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. What exactly is model behavior going to look like? Well, understand in the first century, Christian people were suspect. They were suspected because their conduct was vastly different from those that they were living among. 
They were suspect because they met in private to worship. It, it wasn't at the temples where everyone else went to. It wasn't out in the open where everyone else was gathered. No, they met in their homes. They met in private. They were secluded. They were cut off. We're a little bit more out there, but I want you to understand, we still need to understand what model behavior looks like. And Paul gives us some very good instruction and direction to this. He says, first off, be subject. Be subject to rulers. We are supposed to be the best citizens that this country's got. Folks, if you want to know how to make an impact for Christ, be a good citizen. There may come a point in time when we have to rebel. There may come a point in time when we will have to take a stand in civil disobedience and say we will not do such and such because of our conviction as God's people and what the Word of God tells us. But even in doing that, we can do it in a respectful manner and be subject to the authorities that God has put in place. Subject to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Man, I'm just going to skirt this because if I don't, we're going to park right here and we're going to stay here for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Folks, we are called to be obedient. What does that mean? That means that we are subject to the laws of this land. We are to be obedient. Whenever a police officer pulls us over, we need to be respectful. We need to be courteous we need to be compliant we need to do what we are asked to do and if we do not we should understand we have opened the door to a pandora's box of possibilities we have seen it played out on the streets of this nation over and over and over and over again in the last year and a half and my friends it must stop it is not the fault of the men and women in blue it is the fault of those who refuse to be obedient to the laws I understand that there are times when we are enraged and outraged. And there are times when we want to protest and we want our voices to be heard and we want to make a statement and we want to make a difference. But I want to tell you, my friends, whenever we begin to break the law to make a statement, we have stepped outside the law. There is a difference between protesting and rioting. There is a difference between making a statement and stealing. We've lost sight of that. Paul says, listen, you need to be subject to the rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready to do whatever is good. Make a difference. Be positive. And understand, Christian brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to the church this morning. Our speech and our action should always reflect and model self-control. Look at what Paul said. Slander no one. Have you looked at any social media lately? I promise you, you can't get first, past the first screen when you open it without reading slander. But here is what God says. Slander no one. Our speech ought to be flavored with the goodness and the love and charity and graciousness of God. If we do that, our speech will be peaceable and considerate. It will show humility toward all men. We are called to be salt and light, brothers and sisters. Don't ever forget that. The fact that it's an election year does not free us from that responsibility. 
Jesus said on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you ought to consider being. Or you ought to hold a meeting and vote on whether or not you want to participate in being. No, he, he said you are. You are the salt of the earth. He went on and he took it a step further. You are the light of the world. Friends, we must understand our responsibility and our calling. We who possess the gospel are called to live the gospel out as well as sharing it with those around us. Our conduct to everyone, the churched and the unchurched, those who agree with us in politics and those who disagree with us, those who base their their concepts of truth upon the word of God and those who have bought into all the lies the world has to offer. It does not matter where they stand on the spectrum in relationship to us we are to be salt and light we ought to be just as loving to those who disagree with us as we are to those who are part of the family of christ i love what it says here at the end of verse one i i just kept finding myself as i was working on this message going back over and over to this statement that here is here be ready to do whatever is good It doesn't say whatever feels good or whatever's good for you. No, it says be ready to do whatever is good. We must not allow ourselves to be participants in saying or doing things that will undermine our ability to do good. Please hear my heart, friends. Sometimes we decide we want to do something good. But our ability to do good and to impact the the world around us with good has already been undercut by our hatefulness, by our speech, by our actions in prior days. Exercise caution. Don't destroy your own reputation before you have the opportunity to make a difference. Be prepared to do whatever's good. Hey, preacher, you don't understand. You don't understand how this world makes me feel. You don't understand how I feel when I hear these people talking on TV and they're saying these things. Listen, I understand, but I want to give you a challenge that Paul gave to Titus. Because, see, he invited that pastor to remind the believers, remember what you once were. Because, see, we were all part of this world. We are part of this world. We were saved from within this world, but we are still in this world. And so Paul writes to Titus, and and look at what he says to him in verse 3. At one time, we too, I like that. I like the way that Paul says things. He, He doesn't say, Titus, at one time you were. See, we're real good at that, aren't we? We like to point out to other people. But did you see what Paul said? We too. Titus, me and you both. Brothers and sisters in Christ, me and you both. Deacons, me and you both. Sunday school teachers, all of us together. Brothers and sisters that just happened to wander in, you're trying to figure out how in the world did I get here? We too, all of us, those who belong to the world, those who've been called out of the world. We have all been in this place. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
I know what I was before I met Christ. Have you forgotten? Paul hadn't forgotten. That's why he said, we too. I was a person living apart from God. I was only a child, but I was living apart. I was separated from him by my sin. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old or in between. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you have a high education or you barely got any education. It doesn't matter. Before you meet Christ, you are living separated from God. Sin has built a barrier between you and your heavenly Father, your Creator. And there's only one way past that barrier, and that's Jesus Christ. I was foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Too many in the church are allowing such actions to define them. Listen, I, I get it. I understand how passionate we become about politics. I understand how passionate we become about the leadership and the direction of our nation. I understand that. But if we come to a place where our words have been filled and our words have been overcome, with malice and envy, if we are allowing our foolishness, our disobedience, our deception to overtake our speech, we're in trouble. Too often times our words have been filled with malice and envy. Here's what Paul says seems as if a lot of people have gotten satisfied with being hated and with hating one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we who are Christ followers, we who bear the name of the perfect sinless Savior, dead, buried, resurrected, and living today, seated at the right hand of glory, interceding on our behalf. If we are called by his name, we must not stand by when we have a chance to right wrongs, to be a voice, to make a difference. I, I had someone tell me the other day, but the system's run amok. We can't make a difference anymore. How do you know? If, if you take that position and you say, I'm standing apart. I can't make a difference. My vote doesn't count. I don't have a voice. Friend, when you sit down and you accept that truth, you are absolutely right. You have no voice. You can't make a difference because you quit. I don't, I, I don't see where God called us to quit. I read the Word of God, and what I come up with is, Occupy until I come. Oh, and by the way, I'm coming again. Friends, we must be participants. But we must participate as a people who utilize a worldview that is shaped by the Word of God to determine how we will cast our balance while remembering two amazing truths that are contained in the Word of God. And I want to share these with you this morning. The first is found in Proverbs 25, verse 26, where we read these words, Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. Now, let me simplify that and give you the Tim version. 
Here's what God says. You throw up your hands, quit, don't vote, say, I can't make a difference, and you're nothing but a mud puddle. That's what it says. You're a mud puddle. We aren't called to be mud puddles. We're called to be channels of blessing filled with living water that bubbles up and flows out of us. But in the process of of deciding not to be a mud puddle, be reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, let your speech be righteous. Let it be wholesome. Let it be God-honoring. How can you do that? In a situation, in a time like we're living in where things are happening the way they are and, and being said the way that they are, how can we possibly do that? It's simple, but you have to remember what God did for you in redemption. And that's what Paul challenged Titus to do. Remind them. Remind them what God did in redemption. Listen to these words. You've got them there. Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable, get this, for everyone. Not just for the church. Not just for God's people. No. This is profitable. This is good for everyone. Why would we do that? Because of what God has done for us. Friends, let me remind you of something this morning. I'm going to say this, and I know somebody's going to look at me and say, well, duh. But I think we forget sometimes that salvation originates within the heart and from the mind of God. We didn't do it. We can't save ourselves. It's not our works, it's not our righteousness, it's not our goodness, it's not our worthiness. It's His grace and His mercy and His love that is displayed through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent His Son. That's what Paul says when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. You see, God provided a Savior because we could not save ourselves. God's mercy was triggered by his kindness and his love, not our goodness. God brought salvation to man, not because it was deserved, but out of love because it was needed. And it's still needed. 
In fact, it may be needed more than it's ever been needed. It certainly needs to be shared more than it's ever been shared. Because of what God did, man was justified by his grace to become heirs of eternal life. And he saved us to serve him. He saved us so that we could make a difference. He saved us so that we could speak and we could, we could, we could, we could act and we could be salt and we could be light. You see, salvation isn't gotten by good works, but salvation should always give birth to good works. Verse 8, Paul writes that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Friends, listen to me very carefully. The lost world, the unsaved world, is examining my life and your life. They're listening to our speech. They're reading our Facebook posts. They're looking at your Instagram account. They're following your tweets. And whenever unwholesome speech proceeds out of you, you are marked off in their minds as a genuine, authentic, and real follower of Christ. Be careful. Be careful. I learned that. I learned that when I was this tall. Didn't you? I was sitting in Sunday school. Oh, be careful, little lips, what you say. Yeah. Well, I'll take it a step further. Oh, be careful, little digits, what you type. Because the people that are out there are looking, and friend, they care. They want to know, are you the real thing or not? If you're the real thing, you can make a difference. If you're not, you're written off. We're called to good works. And one of the ways that we can do good is to be careful about our speech, be careful about what we write, be careful about what we post, and then engage the process. Exercise the rights you have. And I'm going to tell you why. And here I go. I'm stepping outside the pulpit, and I'm stepping into the arena of world history, and I'm telling you as a student of history, our forefathers got it right, and you need to understand it this morning. The right that you have to go to the ballot box on November the 8th and vote was not given to you by the government. It was not given to you by Jefferson or Washington or Adams or any of them. The rights that you have come from the one who created you. His name is Almighty God, and we are his servants. Okay, we're no longer Baptists. <laughs> Friends, we must, we must do what is right. We must engage. We must exercise the rights that God has given to us. We've been given an opportunity to engage in the political process within this nation that is unlike anything that anyone else in history has ever had. No one else on earth has ever had the opportunity that you and I have. A chance to, to stand up for what is right. To be a voice for what is righteous and holy. To be a force to change a world and to steer a culture and a society. Too many people who claim to be believers 
have sat on the sideline far too long and allowed those who do not know God to make the decisions that will shape the nation and the world that we are going to live in in the future. I had someone tell me, well, I believe that being a Christian means I'm called to a more contemplative lifestyle. That's another word for hogwash. <laughs> Let me share with you the words of a man whose life impacted millions. A man that many people didn't even know about until just a few years ago when a movie came out. But he changed the course of history. His name was William Wilberforce. He spent his entire adult life in the realm of politics, an amazing Christian man fighting to abolish slavery in England. Wilberforce said, surely the principles of Christianity lead to action as well as meditation. What was he saying? Yes, we are called to meditate on the Word of God. But once we have meditated on the Word of God, we know what it says, we understand what it means. Surely that should move us to do something for the betterment of our culture and our society. Listen, the church is not here just to be here. The church is here to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is here to impact the community, the culture in which we are located. And there is no better witness for a local church to have than the sacrificial service of its members and their engagement in the society of which we are a part. I just want to know, what are we going to do? Will we engage? Are we going to play our part? Will we live out the grace that's been extended to us? You choose. I choose grace. I choose grace because grace chose me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And my friend, if you belong to him, he died for you. But I got some really good news, and I want you to hear me. Even if you don't belong to him, he died for you. And today he stands ready to make you a part of his family, a part of his kingdom. He wants to extend grace to you if you'll receive it. The question is, will you? You must decide. I can't do that for you. But I can certainly offer it to you. So allow me a moment. You see, grace is received when we come to a place where we realize we need a Savior. Now, all of us do, because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But a lot of us like to deny that. We don't like to acknowledge we're sinners. We don't like to admit we've done anything wrong. We like to say, no, I'm better than that. That may be a problem for you, but it's not a problem for me. I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. We all are. I'm, I'm the pastor here this morning, but I'm telling you, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. And I want you to experience that grace. 
we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. God knew that. And that's why before, even before the first day of creation, it was already determined that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come to this earth as our Savior. He came, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he went to the cross, God's word tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be clothed with the righteousness of God. What that means is me and Jesus traded garments the day he went to Calvary. He took my sin and he gave me his robe of righteousness. If you're a believer here this morning, you've been born again, you understand what I'm talking about. Everything changed when you met Jesus. The sin was washed away. The righteousness became your reality. Didn't make you perfect, made you forgiven, made you a new creation. And today, he offers that to every lost man, woman, boy, and girl anywhere in the world if they will embrace him, turn from their sin, and pursue him. Maybe he's calling you to that today. If he is, I want to invite you. In just a moment, we're, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand to sing. If God's calling you, you know you need to give your heart, your life to him. I want to invite you to do it. Maybe you're here this morning. You're looking for a church home. God's brought you to this place. And you're saying, I'm not sure about these people. I understand that. We're kind of a wacky crew sometimes. But can I just tell you something? If this is where you believe God wants you to plant your life and serve him from, we want you to be a part of this. But we need to figure out what we have to do to do that. I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to answer your questions. Maybe you're his child. You're sitting here saying, but my life's a broken down mess. Welcome to the club. But our God has a way of taking broken down messes and making beautiful things. Would you let him do that with your life today? And then let's go make a difference together. Pray with me. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. It's powerful. And it applies to our situation. God, there are those who want to say your word is not relevant, but it is. There are those who want to say that you don't make a difference, but you make all the difference. There are those who want to tell us that Christian people don't get it. But Father, we get it better than anybody else. Because you show us in your word what it's all about. And so I pray, Father, this morning for us in this room. I pray for my brothers and sisters, for the church, the bride of Christ. That our lives, our words, our actions in the days to come will glorify you. And that we would accept the responsibility you've given to us to engage and make a difference in our culture. Exercising the rights that you've given to us. Father, I pray for the rest in this room. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, oh, I pray that you would just call them, invite them to yourself this morning. Convict them of sin. Challenge them to turn from their sin and follow after you. God, if there are those you desire to add to this church family, we, we just pray that you'd make that clear to them and that you'd remove the barriers. Bring them. Father, I pray that in these moments, whatever you do, however you lead, help us to be obedient as we prepare our hearts to leave this place and do good in the name of Jesus. For it's in his name I pray.